Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. Today we turn back into the archives about 20 years and continue a study into the lives of the disciples of our Lord. There's very little said about the disciple we're considering today. All we're given in the Bible is his name and his former affiliation. He is called Simon the Zealot. But with this little bit of information, we can construct an amazing story of divine transformation. A zealot, you see, was a member of a radical political party in Israel whose goal was the independence of Israel from all foreign power. They were militants. They were religious radicals. They were political insurgents. They were also known as the Sikari, which meant basically the assassins. They were a group dedicated to killing any individual they felt were betraying Israel or stood in the way of its political and spiritual independence. As such, when Jesus came on the scene and was being whispered abroad to be the possible Messiah or coming king for Israel, it would make sense that some of the zealots would try to spy him out to see if Jesus was for their cause or against it. Simon would have been one of those, but something happened with Simon. As he sought to find out Jesus, Jesus found him out instead. Simon was changed and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he didn't follow Jesus in order to gain a political agenda. He followed Jesus because he trusted that only he had the power to transform a life. Simon went to check Jesus out. Somewhere along the line, something took place. Instead of him examining Jesus, as he stood before Jesus and heard what Jesus said, he realized that Jesus was examining him. As he listened to the words and the teachings of Christ, it wasn't as though Jesus was coming under his scrutiny, but he found that his own life and his own heart and his own soul was coming under the scrutiny of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And somewhere along the line, Simon determined to follow this one and put his trust in him. And he transferred all of his faith on Jesus Christ. You know, it's very interesting that when Jesus came along, there were a lot of people that flocked to Jesus because they thought that he was one who was championing the political message that they wanted to hear in that day, that he was going to call for and establish himself as the new leader in Israel, that he would ultimately throw off this oppression of Rome. People thought that Jesus had a social agenda, and so individuals rushed to them to be around him because he had a social agenda, and they wanted to hear what he had to teach, and that he was declaring a new authority, and he spoke with such authority, maybe he could become an authority over the whole nation. And so it was when all the crowd was gathered around Jesus to hear him teach that they hung to hear every word and they forgot to go and get something to eat. And so Jesus, seeing they were all hungry, the Bible says that he broke loaves and fishes and he multiplied and he fed the multitude. And my, were they excited then. Because if this man had such authority and such power and at the same time had the ability to feed them by simply breaking bread and blessing it, think what kind of national leader this person could be. If this is not the Messiah, if this is not the king, who could it be? The Bible says on that occasion that all the people sought to lay hold of Jesus in order to force him to become their king. And Jesus escaped from them. And they pursued him all the way to his hometown. And there in his hometown they came upon him again. And Jesus told them, listen, you're only coming after me because I fed your bellies. But the reality is that I have a different agenda. I have a different mission. I'm not here just simply on a social agenda or a political agenda. My mission is to change your hearts, to transform your lives, to make you new to pour my life into you, to grant you eternal life. 
says at that point in time that the people began to reject Jesus and wander away from him. They didn't stay. But Simon the Zealot did not leave. He had abandoned his old vision, his old ways. Simon's old leader had said, hate your enemies and consider anyone who doesn't hate your enemy, your enemy. His new leader said this, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. And Simon decided to follow him. Simon, who hated the Romans, would one day become a missionary to all the world. Simon, who hated those who collaborated with the Romans and with Rome, became a spiritual brother and companion not only of Jesus, but also of a certain individual called Matthew, who oftentimes when he's listed in the Gospels is called Matthew the tax collector. Understand something. Simon and Matthew lived on opposite sides of the ideological universe in Israel. Simon's desire was to destroy everything that's Rome and anyone who collaborates with Rome and be willing to bear any pain and any suffering and sacrifice to themselves or their friends or their family in order to throw off Rome. On the other side is Matthew. And Matthew has decided, I'm going to collaborate with the Romans. Not only am I, I'm going to blend my life with them. I am going to benefit by their rule. In fact, I am going to use the power and authority of Rome in order to bring pleasure in my life. I am going to use their power and their authority to bring unjust taxes that I will add to in order to steal and rob from the people of Israel in order that I might live a pleasurable lifestyle. By the way, everybody hated the tax collector in the nation, saw them as traitors. Most people silently sympathized with the patriotic zeal of the zealots. If Simon had bumped into Matthew on a lonely road when Matthew wasn't surrounded by his entourage helping him guard his purse, Simon would have, in times before, reached for his sicka, pulled it out from underneath his robe, and thrust it without any conscience into Matthew's belly. But now, Matthew and Simon sit at the same table and call one another brothers and they love one another and they abide with one another and they worship at the same person's feet they have been wonderfully and radically transformed and folks i just say this that the greatest testimony of the transforming power of christ is seen in the reality that these two men could find unity and peace together in christ do you know Let's just understand this. There are individuals who are zealous and they may hate a person who moves against their political philosophy, uh, an insurrectionist. But I guarantee you, as much as certain individuals may hope, for example, let's, let's just take in perspective uh, the person who has sworn hatred for all of Israel, a Palestinian who hates all the Israelites and is waiting in line to be one of the suicide bombers in Israel and he hates the Israelites. They become the personification of all that he despises. I'll tell you who he hates worse. Who he hates with much more intensity, he hates the individual Palestinian that he suspects or knows is betraying the nation and has entered into league with the nation of Israel. Those individuals he wants to put to death more than anyone else. This is what Simon would have seen in Matthew. This is an animosity and an intense hatred that we would never know. We couldn't understand. We couldn't comprehend and an intensity and hatred that we might, listen, never be able to break through. And the fact is that all the different political wranglings and all the attempts to bring negotiations hasn't been able to put a dampening upon this intense hatred that even now is flaming in the Middle East. And this is the hatred that was burning in the heart of Simon the Zealot. 
How was that hatred put out? By one man. Jesus changed his life. He was transformed. And he changed the life of Matthew. So radically and wonderfully, not, not only did Simon love Jesus and Matthew loved Jesus, but Simon and Matthew loved one another. Jesus said it. Folks, Simon, Matthew, they're going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. There's no greater argument for the power that I have in the life of a person than you two. That's what the world needs today, folks. That's what the church needs today. That's what our country needs today. The unity and the bonding together that only comes and can only come through not aspiring for great political advance, not expecting that this person will be a Messiah that will sweep us all into power, but one that will sweep us all into his love. Let's look now, thirdly, and this won't take us very long, to consider the lessons that we learn from Simon the Zealot. The first lesson is this, and I wouldn't mind if you wrote these down. The first lesson that we learn from Simon the Zealot is this. You can never tell how God is dealing with any man. You can never tell how God is dealing with any man. Have you ever brought a friend to church or to some Christian event hoping that somehow they'll hear just the thing that you know they need to hear? As the speaker begins to speak, you become a little nervous that the speaker's just not saying the right things. If you could have possibly got ahead of him and, and gone in advance, you would have maybe even written the script out for him. So he would have just said what your friend needed to hear. He's just not saying the things that are going to strike him right. You know, listen, he is rubbing the fur the wrong way and he's going to alienate this person and he's going to drive this person away. If he just learned a little bit more sophistication what he's saying, maybe, maybe somehow God could do a work in this person's life. Can you imagine if maybe... Andrew. I suspect that Simon was from the region of Galilee where most of the disciples were from. And Andrew is an individual who liked to bring people to Jesus. And let's just imagine that Andrew was the one who wanted to bring Simon to hear Jesus. And so he brought Simon along to hear Jesus teach. And Andrew's excited that, that Simon has agreed to come. And as Jesus begins to speak, Andrew begins to wonder if he maybe should have tipped Jesus off first that Simon was coming. Because Jesus says something like, you've heard it say that we should take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, resist not evil. Don't put up a fight against the evil that comes against you. And whoever smites you on the cheek, turn to him also the other cheek. Wait a second, this is not the thing you want to say to a zealot. And then Jesus goes on and he says, now look, you know how these Roman soldiers go around and they take you and they compel you to carry their burden with them for a mile, which was a common thing to do. The Roman soldiers like to use the different Jewish citizens like their pack mules. He says, now listen, when that person comes to you and compels you to go with them a mile, I, let me suggest you do this. Carry your load for him for an extra mile. <laughs> oh, he's really missing the opportunity here to speak to Simon the Zealot. He says, you've heard it say, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those that curse you and do good for those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. He is totally missing the opportunity here. Finally ends. If you love those who love you and reward only those who reward you, what good are you? Are you not living just like a tax collector? Oh, now he's comparing Simon to the tax collectors. He hates the tax collectors more than anyone else. He's blown it. You can never tell how God deals with any man. You can never tell what God uses to strike the heart of a man. God knows what the word is that a man must hear. God knows how he must do his work in his heart to transform him and change him. You just don't know. 
You know, when you study doing missions overseas, uh, oftentimes what you do is you read different books on learning how to speak sympathetically to the people you're going to talk to in order not to offend them. There are different ways in which, particularly if you're going to speak to a person of the Muslim orientation, that you want to speak to them in order not to get them angry and get them to the point where they reject what you're saying. Interestingly enough, I've met a number of individuals who have lived in those countries who have great testimonies of leading different Muslim friends and family members to Christ, and they did not lead them by the gentle and persuasive word, but by a word that would have run counter to everything they believed. One testimony that I think I've repeated before in a fellowship is the testimony of a man who stood up and said the way he came to Christ was this. A friend of his came to him and told him, I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for the sins of the world. And he said, I was so angry at him, I wanted to kill him. I was so angry I had to remove myself from his presence because in one sense he was my friend, but in the other sense, I literally wanted to kill him. Then he said, from there, I went to the mosque to pray during the hours of prayer, which he regularly went to exercise. And every time after that point that I would go to pray, I would bow on my mat to pray, and I'd open my mouth and try to remember the prayers that I memorized. And the word that would come to mind so forcefully was, Jesus is the Son of God, and he died for the sins of the world. And he said, I would try to pray, and it kept coming back to me, Jesus is the Son of God and died for the sins of the world. And ultimately, I came to the point where I had to surrender to that truth. It's not the thing you should normally say to a Muslim when you're first talking to them. You should maybe take the back door, we're told, be a little bit more sophisticated. We never can tell how God is dealing with any man, even with Simon the Zealot. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.